What's up, Nativity people? This is Father Jason from the Church of the Nativity in Fort Oglethorpe, Georgia. And this is another episode of Soul Searching, Season 1, Spiritual Practices for Busy People, Episode 4, The Bible, Part 2. Let's get after it, y'all. So we've been talking about the three things that Christians do. First, worship and prayer. We talked about some ways to pray daily as an act of worship and also ways to gather even in this time of pandemic as a corporate body to pray together. Right now we're in the section of talking about growing in faith through learning, specifically about learning through the Bible. And then next week, we're going to be talking, begin talking about loving and assisting our neighbors, acts of Christian service. Like I said, we're talking about the Bible today, and I want to remind you that the Bible pairs well with coffee. They are two expressions of God's love, and they go well together. Coffee, as my good friend Amy Pakin says, uh, coffee is one of the many ways that God says, I love you. And the Bible is a story or collection of stories that tells a big story about the ways that God loves us from creation to salvation. Um, and so they pair well together, I believe, and I encourage you to consume them in equal doses. I want to remind you of a quote we had from retired Archbishop of Canterbury, Rowan Williams, a couple of weeks ago. Bible reading is an essential part of Christian life because Christian life is a listening life life where we are listening with uh, our minds and our souls to, to hear the God speaking to us and calling us to deeper acts of love, calling us deeper into God's love. And we, one of the ways that we hear that is through scripture. Now, today we're going to talk about two ways to read the Bible. We talk about Bible study and devotional reading. Now, for those of you who are watching this video versus those of you listening on the podcast, uh, I have a dotted line between these two things, between a dotted vertical line between Bible study and devotional reading. That is so because the two aren't, uh, they aren't compartmentalized firmly. Uh, devotional reading can lead to Bible study and Bible study can lead to devotional reading. Bible study is reading to seek understanding. What's going on in the narrative? What's going on in that particular book? What is, what are the events, the plot, all those things from that you grew up learning about in English class? It's, it's kind of looking at it that way. Devotional reading is uh, trying to hear what God is trying to say beyond the words. It's reading in a prayerful manner, to put it shortly. Both are important. We're going to talk about both of those today. Before we get into that, though, I want to remind us what the Bible is. The Bible is a library. It's a collection of books that can be roughly uh, uh, categorized in three groups, the Old Testament, the New Testament, and the Apocrypha. And different Christian traditions have different arrangements of these books. Uh, in the Roman Catholic tradition, they have the Old Testament and the New Testament, and then the Apocrypha is mixed in with the Old Testament books. In a strictly Protestant Bible, you'll find just the Old Testament and the New Testament without the Apocrypha. 
Um, and in a little while, I'll talk about why I think that is not the best uh, arrangement. In an Anglican Bible or an Episcopal, a Bible that would be used in an Episcopal church, you would find the Old Testament and the New Testament with the Apocrypha in between in their own, as its own section. Um, and we'll talk about why that is in just a few moments as well. But first, let's talk about the Old Testament and New Testament. You may have heard these terms before, um, and that's fine, and that's good. Um, the Old Testament is also known as the Hebrew Scriptures. These were books written by the Hebrews, the people that we eventually call Jews, um, and it is still their sacred text today. It's still their scriptures uh, today. It was written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to show God at work in nature and history. Uh, that last bit that I've put in quotes there is from the catechism, from the outline of the faith that's in the Episcopal Book of Common Prayer. Um, we'll be talking about more, of the, more about that in future videos. And it says, God at work in nature and history. I want to be clear here that the Old Testament is not a history book. It often discusses or references historical events, but it is not a history book as we would understand a history textbook. Um, either from school or recently I read a book about the impeachment process of Andrew Johnson um, in the 1860s. And it was, a, it was a history book. It went through each of the characters that were involved, uh, each of the people involved in that process and told the story about who they were and the reasons they were making the decisions they were. And it, it listed and it orderly arranged the events uh, and what and discussed how those events uh, unfolded and, and what produced the outcome. That's not what the Old Testament is. It was written in a different time where the concept of a history book didn't even exist. Our concept of a history book didn't even exist. Many, many of these stories existed in the oral tradition of the ancient Hebrews long before they were ever written down. And plus, the time period that it does reference is uh, over a thousand years. And societies change and people's change and context, context changes. And so uh, that, that influences the way the scriptures are written down. So we just need to be mindful of that, that we're digging into something that is foreign to us in a lot of ways when we're dealing with uh, the scriptures, all of them. The New Testament were written by early Christians who were mainly Jews under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to tell the story of Jesus's life and teachings and to proclaim the good news of the kingdom for all the people. And again, I'm pulling part of that from the catechism of the Book of Common Prayer, the outline of the faith. And it was written in Greek. So why was the Old Testament written in Hebrew and the New Testament, even though it was written mainly by uh, Jews who had become Christians, who had become followers of Jesus, why was it written in Greek? That's what takes us to the Apocrypha. So an outline of sort of the history of the people of Israel. This is the briefest of outlines, but uh, they are, are, the Exodus happens. They are brought out of slavery into Egypt, into the promised land. They have a loose confederation of tribes. Eventually they form an actual nation state compared to the other countries around them in the, um, in the Middle East. And they, so they eventually have a king. And after several of the kings, uh, they become an empire, and then they become an empire's eventually fall. That's just what they do, and their empire fell, and eventually uh, 
a lot of the population and especially the political, the governing and the religious authorities were hauled off into exile in Babylon, which is modern day Iraq. Um, and uh, eventually they are redeemed and released from that and able to come back. Uh, they had built a temple under the reign of the kings. And then in when the empire fell, the temple was destroyed. When they came back from exile, they built a second temple. And several centuries later, um, or just a few centuries later, actually, Alexander the Great came through and on his way to conquering Egypt, conquered uh, what we call Israel now, conquered that part of the world as well, and went about a uh, process of what we call Hellenization, of making all these societies more Greek. That's what um, Alexander the Great believed the Greeks were the pinnacle of civilization and was, was doing everybody a favor by bringing their culture and imposing it upon them. That's what conquerors do. So Greek became the main language of commerce, uh, the main language of politics and government, uh, and the main language, and also it began to be the language of religion as well, and the, even the Jewish religion. So these books of the Apocrypha were written in Greek, um, but they tell stories. Some of the stories even go back to creation. They're writing about creation again, um, and they heavily influence what we call Second Temple Judaism. Now, I'm going to confess to you, these are the books of the Bible that I have spent the least amount of time with, um, having grown up Southern Baptist, which is an extremely Protestant tradition, they aren't even recognized in that tradition, but they are extremely important. Um, just this summer in, in a class I was taking, I really was convinced of their importance because of their relationship to what we call Second Temple Judaism, because that, the Second Temple, was the temple that Jesus went to, that Jesus, that we hear the stories of Jesus visiting. And so it was Second Temple Judaism was the Judaism that Jesus practiced, that Jesus practiced, that Peter practiced, that Paul practiced, that was the Judaism of the day. And these writings that were heavily influential on Second Temple Judaism are important to us for they help us to understand uh, the, the climate in which Jesus was in when Jesus was on earth and teaching us. So I'm um, looking forward uh, in the, to spending more time with these books, and maybe we'll have a video about some of them on down the line. So we've got the Old Testament, New Testament, and the Apocrypha. How do we read these? First, we're going to talk about devotional reading. Remember, I mentioned that this was a prayerful way of reading, and I'm just going to give you one method of devotional reading. This is not the method of devotional reading. It is simply a method. There are as many ways of devotional reading of scripture as there are people. But here's one way that may be helpful to you. We're going to take a trip. So we'll read a passage, any passage. It could be a psalm, could be something uh, from one of Paul's letters in the New Testament, or one of the gospels that tell the story of Jesus. We take a small piece, just a few verses, and we read them slowly. And then we ask ourselves some questions. Does anything in this passion, anything in this passage draw me to thanksgiving? Is it calling me to be thankful for something, to gratitude? Uh, gratitude is a primal, a primary action of worship. So if a, if a passage of scripture draws us into being grateful for something God has done, 
then we are immediately taken into a place that is worshipful. Is any next question? Is anything in the passage passage calling us to repentance? Does it call us to confess? Um, you know, this is when I have been off the path of love. I've not walked the way of love. I need to repent. I need to turn back to the way of love again. Third question: intercession. This is um, a big word that means to pray for others. Is anything in the passage? bring to mind somebody that I could pray to God to help in some way. Lastly, does the passage move me to praise, praising God for God's almighty power and work, ascribing to God the glory due God's name? Um, now, a passage may do all of these. It may do one of them. It may just do some of them. But we sit with those questions for a little bit and just ruminate over what the passage is and that brings us into a devotional state, a state of being devoted to God through the scriptures. And so that is a method of devotional reading. The other thing we talked about was Bible study. Now, a key to be able to do good Bible study is having a good study Bible. I highly recommend, see if you can read this, the new Oxford annotated Bible with Apocrypha. Um, this is my favorite study Bible. It is uh, edited by the leading scholars, the leading biblical scholars of the world. Um, and I highly recommend it. A couple of things that it has. It has notes, two types of notes. It has notes about the, the text, and it also has notes about textual variants. Like I said, these were mainly an oral tradition first, and then they were written down, and then they were hand copied. And when things are hand copied, there are they don't always match up exactly. And in some places, some manuscripts will have certain passages or certain use certain words, and other manuscripts will have other words. And so, the good thing about the Oxford is, if you get really into it, you can read it. They have essays in here that talk about how they made decisions about which manuscripts to follow and which words to use. One example that I'll bring up um, is in the crucifixion of Jesus from the Gospel of Luke um, in the New Oxford um, and any decent study Bible. You'll have that famous phrase where he says, uh, Lord, forgive them for they know not what they do. Now, you can tell um, that you have a, 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 a good study Bible, if they somehow flag that passage and mark that that passage appears in a lot of manuscripts, but not the earliest ones. The earliest versions of the Gospel of Luke did not have that, have Jesus saying that, did not have Jesus saying, Lord, forgive them for they know not what they do, which is a key, a key part of um, the, the crucifixion story. I'm not saying it didn't happen. I'm just saying uh, that, that that changes our reading of the text if we, if, we, if we recognize that the earliest manuscripts did not have that in, in there. Um, so that's just one example of a textual variance that you want noted. You want noted in your scriptures as well, uh, in your good study Bible. Also, when you're looking for a study Bible, beware of one that groups things in paragraphs, headings, um, Verses have were, this is because 
in the original manuscripts don't have any paragraphs. They don't have any punctuation because the the parchment and the vellum and the sheepskin and the, all the things that they wrote on were so rare and ink was rare and is such a thing to actually write something down, um, a rare thing to be able to write something down that they used every bit of space. The words aren't even spaced from each other. And so whenever you see a paragraph or a heading or punctuation, it's all been added in later. Even verses were added in later. Now the versification of scripture um, has been around for centuries. And so it, it's, it's still a helpful way to find things um, and to cite where in a piece of scripture is. However, when we're doing Bible study, we wanna to try to even ignore that and just look at the text just look at the text as best we can. And from that, um, if we take away the decisions that other folks have made about what a passage might mean, then we're able to engage and have insights of our own. So those are some recommendations I have for good Bible study. Next week, we're going to get into uh, the ways that Christians love their neighbors as themselves. And we'll talk about where that, that phrase comes from and that notion comes from and different ways in which we can go about doing that out in the world. I hope that you have enjoyed this video and found it helpful or that you've listened to the audio in the podcast and found that helpful or both. That would be fantastic. Um, please like uh, hit that bell on YouTube and like this video. Uh, hit the bell to get notified. Hit the thumbs up to like the video. It really helps the video get out more. Uh, YouTube starts suggesting these things to other people when they do searches. And I learned just yesterday that YouTube, YouTube is the second most used search engine in the world. Google is the first and they happen to own YouTube, but YouTube uh, is the second most used search engine. So if you hit subscribe, if you hit the thumbs up to like this video, you hit the bell to be notified so that you know whenever you get to know whenever a video comes out from the Church of the Nativity, you'll also be helping spread the gospel to the world because this video will get suggested for other folks as they search to learn as well. So I hope you have a fantastic day. I hope you keep your eyes open because God is at work. God's love is at work out in the world. We keep our eyes and hearts open to see that love out in the world and so that we can participate in it. And remember, no matter what, God loves you more than you can possibly imagine.